Afternoon, you're listening to KFSK News for Friday, November 10th. I'm Hannah Floor. Six people have been charged in a Petersburg drug bust and warrants have been issued for at least two more. KFSK reports. The arrests were made after a year-and-a-half-long investigation by the Regional Task Force Southeast Alaska Cities Against Drugs, or CCAD. In April of 2022, officers seized close to $200,000 worth of illegal drugs in Petersburg. All six suspects are Petersburg residents. Palmer Thomason Jr., Austin Strickland, and Edward Rayborn are being charged with multiple felony counts of trafficking fentanyl, heroin, methamphetamine, and cocaine. Amanda Laux is being charged with multiple felony counts of trafficking fentanyl, heroin, and cocaine. And Dazlin Friends and Gabe Volk are being charged with multiple felony counts of trafficking fentanyl, heroin, and methamphetamine. The six were indicted on October 26th by a grand jury in Juneau, according to a press release from the Juneau Police Department. All six suspects have pleaded not guilty on all counts. Public defenders for Laux, Strickland, Rayborn, and Friends could not be reached for comment. Volk's private attorney declined to comment, stating he does not know enough about the case yet. There are still outstanding warrants for two other people, Ariel Eiler and Christine Peeler. Petersburg Police Chief Jim Kerr declined to comment for this story, stating that the case is still active. Strickland has been released on bail in Juneau. Thomason, Laux, and Volk have been released on bail in Petersburg, and Friends and Rayborn remain in custody at the Petersburg Police Department. In Petersburg, I'm Hannah Floor. The wolf trapping season on Prince of Wales Island has been limited to one month in recent years. The Alaska Department of Fish and Game recently announced that the upcoming season would be the same. And it has left some residents who hunt the island's deer population to ask, what about us? Jack Darrell of KRBD has the story. A 2019 study said that wolves on Prince of Wales Island are more inbred than previously thought. Why is this a problem? Tom Schumacher is the regional supervisor for the Alaska Department of Fish and Game. He invoked Isle Royal to explain it at a wolf harvest meeting in Craig on October 24th. I think if you look right online, you can probably also find photographs of wolves with some pretty severe spinal deformities that were from Isle Royal. And there's only one thing that explains that, and that's inbreeding. Isle Royal is an island in Lake Superior. It has a famously unstable population of wolves that at one point dwindled to two partially because of severe inbreeding. It's a cautionary tale here in Alexander Archipelago. In 2019, Fish and Game switched from managing wolf hunting on a quota basis to openings. At the time, Fish and Game said tracking the number of wolves killed was proving too difficult to manage. They moved to 31-day openings the last three hunting seasons, starting November 15th. Schumacher says the month-long season is an attempt to preserve more wolves than federally mandated. The thought being that hunters might be eliminating too many wolf genes from the island's pool. If we ignore something like that and something bad happens, then we don't, we're not being responsible. So knowing this stuff and being responsible matters, we need to take some measures to, I guess, learn more about it and manage accordingly until we know more. The estimated population ahead of this year's season is 259, which Schumacher says is right in the desired range. The condensed nature of wolf trapping season on the island has added to an already pretty controversial debate. So are you going to raise wolf sacrifice to deer, uh, you know, because that's a substance resource that's 
probably the most important on this island. But I, I realize it's a difficult situation. That's Mike DeVille, a Craig resident and member of CRAC, the Southeast Alaska Subsistence Regional Advisory Council. He says he's worried that preserving this many wolves means open season on the deer population, an important source of meat for island residents and wolves alike. Sam Sawyer, another island resident, expresses concern that management organizations like Fish and Game focus too many resources on the wolf population. Who's looking out for the deer population in all of this? It seems like the wolves are always the number one priority, but the deer never are. I just, I just don't understand that. Schumacher recognizes the concern. But it's not a perfect situation, I'll give you that. But the problem, he says, it isn't the deer. At this point, we believe we have a more urgent issue at, with wolves. Scientists are worried about inbreeding, which can lead to less fertility and survival. Right now, Schumacher will call it an issue, but not yet a problem. We don't know that we have a problem here. Baseball's been here for a long time, but we've got some red flags and we need to recognize those and manage accordingly. Schumacher says managers need better data and research. The State Department currently tracks wolf abundance using hairboards. They're contraptions made of wood and barbed wire that are scented with trapping lure. The idea is the wolves will roll in it and leave behind hair to be sampled. And it works. Sort of. There's a group of wolves that won't roll on them that potentially have a problem with sampling. Like if you say all three-year-old females never roll on hairboard, then those animals are invisible to the sampling technique. He says the department is bringing in graduate students to try other methods of tracking the number of wolves on the island, like trail cameras, and interestingly, scat-detecting dogs. But what does everybody do? Everybody poops. So it's something that we're going to look at using scat-detecting dogs and you can collect DNA from the animal that left the poop. Schumacher says that if inbreeding turns out to be a big problem on Prince of Wales, then they may have to bring in wolves from the mainland to interbreed. But this should be thought of as a last resort. He says that if things go as anticipated, trappers on the island will still be able to harvest 75 to 85 wolves this season. In Ketchikan, I'm Jack Darrell. Sitka's new Catholic priest has an unusual skill set who's also the official exorcist for the Catholic Church of Alaska. KCAW's Meredith Reddick sat down with Father Joseph McGilloway, a former Benedictine monk who moved to Sitka in September, to talk about his work in a ministry sensationalized by pop culture. You've been the exorcist for the Catholic Church of Alaska for four years. How did you get into that? What motivated you to do this work? Okay, so uh, nothing. So what happened was we had the then Archbishop of Anchorage uh, had brought a friend of his, uh, a priest who's been an exorcist for almost 20 years, now almost 20 years, to talk to us. And really it was the f- kind of the first time, I suppose, I took the ministry seriously in the sense of, you know, th- the talk made sense. And um, so then a few weeks later, uh, I was trying to get the book uh, uh, and the book was blocked. Um, you-, you could only buy it with a bishop's permission. So I asked uh, the bishop, hey, um, would you give me a letter of permission or could you order for me, or, you know, and I'll pay for it or whatever. Just, And he said, leave that until I see you. So a few weeks later, <laughs> I met him at a mutual friend's house for dinner. And uh, as we were leaving the house, uh, I said, oh, by the way, did you think about whether or not I could have that book? Mm-hmm. He said, yeah, you're going to be the exorcist. <laughs> Bye. And he he jumped in his car and drove off. <laughs> I'm like, what? And he's a big smile on his face. And he waved at me and drove off. So that's how I became the exorcist, yeah. 
What do you see as the role of this particular ministry? Most of the work that's done is gentle ministry to people who are under some kind of spiritual um, stress. You know, it's not the big scary stuff that you see in the movies, but it's something in their lives that's causing them some stress or grief. And basically, most people, all they need is a reassurance that they're not crazy for wondering if it's a spiritual affliction. You know, what you really don't want is, you know, everybody running around thinking it's always the devil and it's always, you know, evil. And, you know, sometimes someone could, could be physically ill. I mean, there are reasons why people can be, like, they could be, have a brain tumor or something that creates real problems in their, and they don't understand. So we gotta go and see. Um, th- they could have mental illness, and thank God we're becoming much more aware of mental illness as a real part of human experience, so that we're able to deal with that more rationally uh, as well, and without the stigma of, of approaching it. You mentioned mental illness. How do you figure out if someone needs an exorcism? Before we can do anything there, we need to have the person's permission uh, for them to go and get medical and mental health checks. Uh, because the worst thing possible is to perform, especially if it is a mental illness that someone's suffering from, uh, the worst thing is to feed into that mental illness by then suggesting to them that there's some demon involved as well. So you spoke about a couple, you know, really extreme cases. What do those look like when when you do end up in that kind of situation? I mean, my very first um, my very first exorcism was assisting Father Vince Lampert. He'd gi- he'd given me before that, you know, a whole load of books to read and so on. All the books start the same way, you know. Ninety nine point nine percent of exorcism ministry is gentle and it's prayerful and it's quiet and it's whatever, and then the whole book talks about the the 0.1% because I guess that's what people are interested in a lot of the time, you know. So so I went along to this expecting it to be, you know, 99.9, but it was actually the 0.1. And Father Vince had told me all this a long time before, is that if any, any of these things that happen, the intention is to distract us from prayer uh, because we get fascinated by the, the strength, the voice change, the, the visual change, the, all those things. Um, the sort of the, the knowledge the person has that's not natural knowledge. It's, it, it, I mean, it is, exa- I mean, it's, it's really exhausting. So, so Father Vince, knowing I had a sweet tooth, had bought me a big family pack of M&Ms. So after all that work, we sat around a table eating M&Ms and a divided up brownie. <laughs> and that's all we had for dinner, for dinner that night. Father Vince says he often, um, he often goes to Dairy Queen, wherever he is, for, for some ice cream after that's his treat. Can you tell me a little bit about the conference in Rome? Amazingly, for a conference, you know, that is dealing with evil, the atmosphere was just, it was really happy. You know, people would say, so, you know, where are you from? And I would say, Alaska. And they're like, Alaska? Wow. So, you know, is the devil at work in Alaska? And I said, well, you know the expression, till hell freezes over. <laughs> I said, There's not a huge amount of demonic going on in Alaska, thank God, but, but there is some. What do you think people get wrong about exorcism? First of all, an exorcist isn't a magician, you know. Um, it, it's not like a kind of a holy wizard or something who comes in and does a few spells and everything is, is fine. The, the really important thing for them to know is that even if a priest comes to do that, if you are uh, either not a faithful person um, or have no interest in becoming one 
what a what a what an exorcist can do for you is very limited, you know. That was KCAW's Meredith Reddick speaking to Father Joseph McGilloway, a new priest for St. Gregory's Catholic Church in Sitka. He spoke about his role as the official exorcist for the Catholic Church in Alaska. A Dillingham fifth grader is a finalist in a national art competition that showcases artists with rare diseases. KDLG's Christina McDermott sat down with artist Seth Bailey to learn about his entry and what happens if he wins. A baby's profile is looking down in Seth Bailey's self-portrait drawing. Inside the baby's head, it's a flurry of colors and shapes drawn with colored pencils and Sharpie. In the picture, you have, a, you know, your head is a baby and there's all sorts of stuff going on. What does that mean? The cloud means mild depression. Mm-hmm. The puzzle piece means autism. The lightning bolt is ADHD, question mark. Is all the other stuff we don't know. All the other stuff we don't know yet. <laughs> Seth Bailey is 10 years old now and submitted his drawing called Self-Portrait to the Every Life Foundation's Rare Artist Contest this summer. The competition highlights the work of artists with rare diseases of all different ages. He is one of two finalists in his age category. As a baby, Bailey experienced infantile spasms, a serious type of epilepsy that doctors can't often determine the cause of. It only happens to infantiles, hence the name. It messes with your brain, and sometimes it happens in your family a lot, or sometimes it just, boom, out of nowhere. Bailey's spasms, he says, were out of nowhere. He says they rewired his brain. At the top of the drawing, Bailey includes a wire box with wires entering his brain to show this change. He says his older brother gave him the idea. He gave the idea of mix-matching wires, so I did that. Sarah Bailey is a literacy program specialist at Dillingham Elementary School and Seth's mother. She says since he outgrew the spasms, he was diagnosed with autism, ADHD, and sensory processing disorder. But Sarah Bailey says her son isn't defined by his challenges. But he's got exceptional qualities and gifts about him, even though he's got his own little quirks and ways about it. Um, Like high-level reading. Mm. Yeah, and awesome Lego designing. If Bailey's entry wins, he'll be invited to Washington, D.C. in February during Rare Diseases Week. There, winners will speak to members of Congress on policy changes for people impacted by these diseases. Winners will also receive a cash prize. Bailey says he wants to spread awareness about infantile spasms. He said in his artist statement he hopes to see more research on why infantile spasms happen and how to prevent them. In Dillingham, I'm Christina McDermott. For KFSK, I'm Hannah Floor.